Producer Ashley here with a content warning. This episode does contain a discussion around alcohol and substance use. Timestamps are included in the show notes. Hey folks, welcome to Hey Adora, your queer she-her podcast. I'm Force Captain Meth, they, them. And I am Princess Jenny, she-her. And today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 6, System Failure, or Robots. Robots, robots everywhere, and not a drop to drink. And tiny, tiny food. Yes, plenty of fizzy, delicious fizzy beverages to drink, but nothing else. System Failure was written by Catherine Nolfi, storyboarded by Diane Hu, Angela Kim, and Sam Szymanski, and directed by Stephanie Stein. Nice. Right. Oh, who's that disembodied voice? There's an extra person in our cloud space today. Yes, we have a special guest, our very first special guest here on Heyadora, and I I am over all of the moons of Etheria to talk about her. Um, yes. Our special guest today is uh, Stephanie Burt. Stephanie, want to say hey? Hey. Hooray and hey. So uh, Stephanie is a professor of English at Harvard and writes books and stuff. She comes from Washington, D.C. via New York. New England, and especially Minnesota. Her most recent books are After Calmiticus from Princeton University Press and Don't Read Poetry, a book about how to read poems from basic books. There's going to be a mini book out from Rain Taxi Editions this spring with poems about, you guessed it, She-Ra, and about some of our podcast favorites, Buffy, and about the X-Men. Solid! Right? Yeah! Steph is also a devotee of The Greatest Mutant That Has Ever Existed on Earth 616. Kitty Pride. Red Queen Captain Kate Pride. <laughs> what are we doing on this long mountainous road? I think we are on our way to a kingdom called Drill. And it is the least kingdom-like I agree. of all of the kingdoms. And the other thing about Drill is that, I, and I think it's the only domain that we've seen so far that remotely works this way, no one lives outside the castle. Yes. It reminds me of Iron Town from Princess Mononoke, actually. It has that, like, side of a mountain. There's a lot of talk about drilling. It's less about being in touch with the natural surroundings of it, like Selenius is, and like Plumeria is, and even Brighton right. to a certain extent, but more about imposing itself upon that. I mean, the very fact that the spire itself looks like a mining drill and there's a lot of conversation about caves and mining and... That's true. Like, you know, it's much... It's not about the fluidity um, and the softness of the moon or the trees or, or the true. water. And Trapta does not seem to belong on Etheria at all. And that's one of the early clues to who she's going to be and how she's going to relate to everything and everyone around her. We're told to call her a princess. Right. And so we call her a princess. And we also, yeah. And when we, when we get to that, we will definitely be talking a lot about Entrapta creating her own world, because that's a really mm -hmm. important part of her character as metaphor as well. Very yeah. much. Yeah. Our heroes have no idea what they're getting themselves into. It's true. But we don't know what they're getting into because we have our typical mad science uh, entrapments ah, when we have the lightning striking over the over the castle. Yes, the foreboding mood is well established. You know, making cupcakes. Actually, Woo. before we even get to the cupcakes, wait, there's I wrote down my very first line after, you know, you see the exterior, boom, boom, ominous, ominous. And then you see the inside before you even see any of the people. 
I wrote down creepy dolls that talk to you and then try to kill you music plays just in case you forgot that we were establishing a mood of foreboding. <laughs> That's yeah, what that music yeah. is like, that little broken <laughs> piano music. We're all friends here in Drill. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Quick head twitching and... Yes, yes. I I love the trope. I think it's hilarious. Oh, I hate it. It trips me out so hard. This episode in particular could be super horror. It's a very good point. I agree. There is definitely some elements of of grotesque horror as well. Yes, there is. And we see that with the understanding of infection which um, we're definitely going to touch upon um, and that it does kind of kind of it rides that line and it does right. You know, this is something that you see in a couple of other episodes as well. And yet it is a children's show. It is de- it is designed for um, an a, a... for an all ages audience. Yeah. But yeah. there's a lot of very grown up themes, obviously, or we wouldn't all be here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So tiny food, tiny food. Tiny food. Nice lady with an apron and green hair is preparing yep. the tiny food. And she's she's definitely designed in that kind of almost that like trope of like the the fuller figured baker uh, homie. There's a very there's a you know, the apron and the baking and the homie. There's a very yes. there's a softness to her that in yeah. contrast with the stone and the electricity indicates that this is some sort of I don't want to say caretaker, but definitely someone that is more along the lines of um She's extremely humanized and normalized right away. And she's shown as being out of sync with her environment and also being nervous and reflecting the way we assume the viewer would feel in response to being in this slightly creepy environment full of shadows and thunder and lightning and whatnot, you know, and buttered biscuits. Exactly. She's she's soft in a place that is hard. Yes. But it's not just that she's soft in a place that it's hard. It's that she's humanized in a place that is very cold and, you know, lifeless. Full of yeah. robots. Full of robots, but we haven't even seen the robots yet. Well, we see it now when it comes to pick up the cupcake. Yes. The tiny piggy cupcake she was icing with the soda pop. Delicious fizzy beverage, all complete. And she specifically says these things still freak her out. Even yep. though it's making her life easier, she doesn't have to go getting lost in that maze of hers anymore. Establishing. Establishing setting. Yes. <laughs> Because you would think that even if they don't have GPS here in Drill, they should at least have a map. They should at least have one of those things. Then the little robot waiter comes zooping through the hallway and we see for the first time that adorable portrait of Entrapta. Go ahead, Meth. I have the portrait. Can I talk about the portrait? Please talk about the portrait. Yes. It shows that. So this is a, I'm actually looking at it right now. This is a little tiny baby Entrapta. She is a little kid. Mm-hmm. And she created these robots the way that the scene is. It's a family portrait, right? So she made robot parents. How do you know she made them? She has a wrench in her hand and she's holding it up proudly. Okay. It is, it is possible that she fixed them or that they taught her how to use a wrench. But Occam's razor. Yeah, agreed. Right, exactly. One, so they, they look like, you know, one of them, we have the kind of the short hair with the um, with the visor, and the other one has a nice big bushy mustache and big bushy eyebrows. Papa robot. Not to gender, but I am reading this coded as both male in this kind of understanding. And this leads to my theory that Entrapta has gay robot dads, and therefore this is my first 
gayest moment. Nice. I am 100% behind that. Entrapta seems to have come into the world with absolutely no biological heritage, no organic family. Yeah, I wondered that too. Just nothing. And that's, that is a mystery that cannot, we do not have the tools to, to solve in the literal narrative level of what's happening on Etheria. Like, where did she come from? Was she found in the wilderness by robots? But we absolutely do on the emotional level. Right. I wondered that as well, like what happened to her biological family. And I also wondered what happened to her robot parents. It's not like they died of old age, but that is also an unanswerable question. They're not here. We just have to accept that. We're not even acknowledging the amazing portraits that are in Entrapta's labyrinth. It's true. There's other portraits. It's not just the robot parents. There are some landscapes. There's some, you know, Etheria and the many moons. But we have a pug. We have a dinosaur with a unicorn horn, which is probably my favorite because it is very clearly a unicorn horn. And of course, a robot butler. Yes. By the way, I am... I'm insisting on saying robot as much as possible. <laughs> yes. Because it's Czech. Yes. Yes. And I was oh, actually. Oh, right. I knew that. Holy I was shit. actually going to bring up the origin of the word robot. Please fucking okay. do that. I am overjoyed that you're going to do that. It's from a play called Rossum's Universal Robots. Robots. And it is. From what year? Uh, from 1921. So that's exactly 100 years ago. Yep. Yeah. The first use of the word Robot. Robot. Yeah, and it's fun. It's like right around the same time that Metropolis was was released too. So there's this kind of like this kind of zeitgeisty moment about mm. um, you know, once again, this is also about, you know, a factory where people make artificial people and um then they make the mistake that the robots, you know, should can can think on their own, perhaps. Yeah, Something so they're like actually that. so so they don't make them so in in uh in R U R, they're actually more like cybernetic organisms because they make them from organic matter you know wackiness ensues people mistake humans for robots and vice versa there's a robot rebellion there's always a robot rebellion you know they're robots they just rebel it happens and of course like any good robot story like the terminator or this one it leads to the extinction of the human race Mm -hmm. i'm not sure that's how this story ends Well, we'll get there. There's only been like, you know, there's there's what, like, what is it? 12, 12 stories ever told. And yes. uh, there's only one robot story ever told. So, yes. Robot uprising. That's the story. Robot uprising. So fabulous. So let's move along <laughs> to when the little robot guy gets to Entrapta's lab, bringing her her tiny snack and her delicious fizzy beverage. And we see her. We see her for the first time. Sweet baby Entrapta's just sitting there doing some science. With the thing they love to do, these writers, and Noel too, every time they introduce someone new, there's a moment of foreboding. You're like, oh my God, is this person yep. evil? Look at that evil metal face with the red eyes. And then she pops it up like, oh, it was just a safety mask because she's metalworking. She's a cute little princess. That safety mask is going to become so important to the character design. Mm -hmm. Yes. It goes up and down and it works as a metaphor on so many levels. Very much. Sweet baby Entrapta. She's doing a heckin' science with her brilliant prehensile hair. She's she's looking in her oh finest her finest princess gear is stained overalls, protective arm gear, uh gloves. Yeah. And her hair. I love her hair. It is her hair is also very very important to her character and, you know, layers of symbolism. Yeah. 
one of the one of the, the running themes throughout the episode is understandings and wieldings of power, whether it's conscious or subconscious and what or electrical or, or energetic, as we yeah. see with magic. And, you know, what the consequences are of being aware of your power, being unaware of your power, wielding unaware power and wielding aware power. And we're going to see that with how Adora and Shira wield power in this, how Glimmer wields power and later how Bo, the everyman and the crew of everymen rise up and, uh, you know, they had nothing to lose but their chains. So yeah, so we see it, we do, we get our intro with Entrapta. She's reading into her log. <laughs> Uh, we see the sad screen as the red organic vine veiny roots yep. take over the metallic. Take over the lab and the tech, the heart of the technology, the whole system that she has, right? This evil, evil root explodes and takes over. But before that even happens, she does tell us some exposition that she's never had this much intact first one's code before. And if she can successfully translate it, it could hold the secrets of the first one. Bum, bum, bum. But like, uh-oh, this is not how she planned. And then we right. have a quick beat where you see drill from the outside. There's a big boom. And then that handy little castle alarm bell goes off. I bet every castle now wishes it had a castle alarm bell. I mean, they probably do now. Can, can we notice something else about making ancient and modern technology truly compatible and the danger in that. Let's do it! So people think about Entrapta as a viewer surrogate if you're neurodivergent and as robosexual and as a maker and as a lot of things, but why, thinking about this this episode in particular, where what she's doing is not like trying to engineer spacecraft, but trying to make ancient and modern technology compatible. Mm -hmm. It's super meta because if you know L. Stevenson, what you oh. are doing is you've been handed some obsolete uh, but very powerful tech, which I is see called Shira, the Princess of Power from the 80s. Yep, yep. And you have been tasked or you have tasked yourself with making the ancient animation from the 80s of this cheeseball thing compatible with modern animation and modern understandings of what kind of story you, Noel Stevenson, would like to tell. And if it works, you're going to be awesome. And if it doesn't work, the ancient tech and the responsibility of running Shira will take over your brain and everything around you. So this is a super meta moment about what it means to be a showrunner. Wow. Whoa. Uh, yeah, damn. that's a great metaphor. I hadn't even thought about that. That meta interpretation is brilliant. I love that. It is. I was going to dig into what technology is in modern Etheria versus what ancient is. Us as viewers, us yes. as people consuming yes. a text, are going into a text with our own in in internal assumptions that ancient technology is not as advanced as modern technology. So first, that is flipped here yes. on Shira, in that the yes. ancient technology is more advanced. Than the because modern we were Ethereum not technology. we were not begun by some ancient mysterious civilization that gave us all of our tech and then disappeared. Who are clearly aliens. I mean, come on, ancient people bum, bum, who bum. landed with all this ancient tech and then disappeared. Of course, they're aliens. Totally, but I don't think that that's entirely the um, interpretation that we need to be working with here. The way that we should be approaching this conversation is that the modern Ethereans are using a different set for technology. So just to kind of define our terms, technology itself is, you know, according to the Wikipedia, 
is the sum of techniques, skills, methods, and processes used in production of goods or services or in the accomplishment of objectives. Magic is the technology of Etheria. Yes. So magic is the technology of Etheria, but it's not the only technology on Etheria. Correct. Yes. yes. Well put. It's We're going to learn that there are three kinds of technology or techne, if you want to use the Greek. One Ooh, is I do. magic, which draws in some way on what Etheria is. Yeah, I have that as um, energetic manipulation. Yeah, yeah. One is first one's tech, which does yep. stuff and we don't know why, but it's certainly very advanced and we don't know, no one alive knows how to work it. So I do have a theory on what that is, but I want to hear your third one. Okay. And one is the thing that Entrapta does and talks about constantly and, and loves doing, which mm -hmm. is the same thing as it turns out that the Horde does and that runs yep. Horde stuff, and which mm -hmm. probably they use some of it in Bright Moon for, like, the plumbing, yep. but they don't really talk about it. It's not interesting to them. And that Except is for Bo. Except for Bo. And that is what we understand, we in, on our Earth, as viewers, understand to be technology, which is its machines. Yes. It, it started in, a, a, before a certain period of time, humans didn't have it. We understand mm -hmm. it to be alienated, alienated from what we call nature. Yep. And either we're really into it in a way that might be irresponsible, or we're scared of it in a way that might be anti-intellectual. And if, if we're going to go in that direction on this episode, I want to talk about Ursula Franklin. Yes, please. Okay. So um, my friend Deb Chatra, who is a, a terrific presence on the internet and like engineering teacher and who's currently writing a book about infrastructure and why we should all care about it introduced me a few years ago to this canadian metallurgist and philosopher of science called ursula franklin who is also an anti-war person and she wrote a book called the real life of technology about what technology is and what engineering is and like how to understand why we sometimes feel that technology is terrible and why we sometimes love it and how to think about it mm -hmm. And one of her main distinctions that Ursula Franklin makes is between what she calls holistic technology, which you yourself use to do stuff, and prescriptive technology, which makes other people do stuff. And it, it, holistic technology goes with craft work, and it goes with work that you can't scale up. Yeah, it's kind of micro and macro. Yeah, and prescriptive technology goes with work that you can scale up and can be used directly to control people, like nanny cams or something, or can be used to build assembly lines or armies. And one of the things that we're going to see with Entrapta is when is her technology holistic and when is it prescriptive? That is, when is it going to be used to control others? Hmm. Oh. That's a very interesting question. And there are kind of two points where that's brought up. There's one in the episode here where Glimmer literally wants her to be a, um, a prescriptive technologist, right? She's like, mm -hmm. we, Glimmer literally says she can build weapons for us. Mm -hmm. And then once again in the Horde, when she makes the choice to do so. Yeah. So we have some credits. Credits, credits. This is the only time we see Catra. Yeah. In this whole episode. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. The only time we see Catra in this episode is the credits. That's true. We don't see the Horde at all. There's known the Hordes. There's no Horde in this episode. It's very strange. Part of the There's strangeness. No Lonnie. No Lonnie. No Catra. Boo. 
<laughs> Boo. As much as I love Catra, and I do love Catra, Entrapta has her own space, and she we're going to figure out how that space works on this episode, and how queer, not just how queer she is, but how she is queer. Yes. Let's check in on Glimmer and Adora and Bo. Let's. Yes. We haven't checked in on them for a while. There's been no reports of the Horde in this area, says Adora. Yep. So these guys are walking on the road to Drill. Doot, 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 doot. And Glimmer is excitedly telling Adora how Entrapta will be such a catch for the Rebellion. And P.S. Queen Mom is going to be so impressed. And at this point, I am leaning more towards your overall philosophy about Glimmer, Meth. Which is like, okay, we get it. Like, yeah, your mom's going to be impressed. But like, maybe first priority should be like, we are fighting a huge war here for the survival of humanity. Not like, I got to impress my mom. Yo, I'm just saying. That's who Glimmer is right now. She'll grow and change. She'll have to. But that's who Glimmer is right now. Yes, she will. She's still very young. She got to impress her mom. And Bo is like in fanboy heaven. I love how maybe we can let Bo versus and meth through Bo tell us why Entrapta is such an important catch for the rebellion. Well, she's a brilliant inventor, and she rehabs the old tech left by the first ones, and she makes robots. Robots! 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 And she's also, she's just, she's a big deal in the Ethereum maker community, which, of course, Bo, our everyman, our heart, right? Mm-hmm. Like, our, I don't have superpowers, but I have tech like Sokka from Avatar. Yes. Dabbles in gadgetry himself. Yes. So, and then and he pulls out his tiny bow. Yes! And the tiny arrow that explodes into little streamers, and the little... You know, he picks out his jazz hands. Eee! We get his jazz hands and his glimmery, glamoury ivy balls like we got from Seahawk. It's so adorable. I want to squeeze him. I love Bo Crush. But Adora and Glimmer are not giving him the respect he deserves in that moment. No, they are not. Because this episode, and they are laying it out in here when Adora and Glimmer and Bo are talking, that this episode is is about how to wield and who wields power. And it's also about not everything can be accomplished by whipping out your magic dong. Yeah, exactly. Your magic, your dong, or your magic dong. Yeah, any any of those three. Also, there's a very important tiny moment that we cannot overlook before we move on. While Glimmer and Adora are poo-pooing Bo's tiny adorable bow and arrow, he's like, well, you know, here's some of my other inventions. I made some more trick arrows. He shows them all their, his trick arrows, including Sonic Arrow. Sonic Arrow. Chekhov Sonic Arrow. Which Glimmer and Adora belittle and laugh at, so you know it's going to be critical by the end. Yeah, it's Chekhov Sonic Arrow. Yes. Yeah. I bet Entrapta will like my arrows. Yes, she will. <laughs> and I like how this is also, they, they go right into, you know, Adora's being a jerk about it because she's just being, she's acting like such a jerk jock because she's like, hey, your arrow's stupid. Hold on, I got to smash something. Yep. Which is like, you know, more five shadowing about like, haha, your power is dumb. I'm going to use my dumb power. And then just as he's explaining to her that there's a rock slide and they have to be super quiet. Yep, I have here the two extremely important uh, sentences in this episode are, you know, she whips out her magic dong and clears a rock slide and she's like, uh, ha, I'm getting the hang of this. And Bo said that was incredibly dangerous. What's the big deal? It worked. Yes, those are very important sentences for this episode. That is this episode in two sentences. <laughs> yes, that was my one. And I look forward to hearing yours, both of yours. That was my one gayest moment. We all know that we all know nomination. Dumb lesbian Jockadora is just going to blast through everything with her magic dong. 
Hold my beer. I got this. Boom. Rocks. I shall smash them. (laughs) I shall smash all the rocks. I have hold my beer. I got this as well. Yes. It's not so much Daddy Adora, but it's definitely Dumb Jack Adora. It's Dumb Jack Adora. Oh no, the castle's distress beacon has been activated and somehow they all recognize that even though no other castle has ever had a distress beacon. But I guess it's a universal language. Well, wait, they could all have distress beacons. We've just never seen them activated before. True. Could be. You could be right. So of course, as soon as they see that something is amiss, Shira and Glimmer run in head first and Bo is like, wait, be careful. But of course, nobody is listening. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Entrapta has traps. It's in the name. <laughs> oh my goodness. You are right. Booby traps. <laughs> <laughs> but Sheer and Glimmer do run in head first and get separated from Bo because they're so over eager. And then, aha, there is a pleasant, an unpleasant high-pitched sound. An electronic-y feedback kind of sound that only Shira can hear. Yeah. And she does not like it. No, it starts to give her a headache. Makes her feel a little bit weird. And she says, this place feels wrong. But then it passes quickly and she immediately says it was nothing. Hmm. So we move on to the castle interior. We just saw them run in. Like, it was sort of like implied. They just kind of walked right in. Mm-hmm. And we can see someone watching them like from behind the shadows. And, you know, who knows? Is this someone lying in wait to attack them? But it turns out just to be, you know, somebody who's hiding. And oh, yeah. So they're just hanging around yelling for Entrapta in the courtyard because what could happen, right? That's fine. (laughs) In an ominous, empty courtyard. And of course, Adora is like, it's the Horde, isn't it? Yes, because she's expecting the Horde always. She's always expecting the Horde. So yeah, there's a really cute part where there's like a robot version of Thing from the Addams Family. And it like crawls up (laughs) Glimmer's leg. But then it's like it didn't. But then it's like it did. I'm not sure if it did. But then it, it really does for sure. And then she chucks it away. And then, of course, I had to look this fun fact up. Thing's proper full name on the internet is credited as Thing T Thing, which I just <laughs> thought was beyond adorable. So I had to say it. That's incredible. Thank you, Meth. I love that knowledge. <laughs> yes, I thought you might. I do. That's the kind of cool shit that we zero in on. Here at Heyadora. That's the kind of knowledge, the only kind of knowledge I care about. Yes. And that's when Bo finally catches up with them, being yeah. his adorable self. And he says they need to be careful. For now. <gasps> because Entrapta has traps <gasps> yeah. <gasps> all over her castle. Ooh, they're supposed to be really cool. Yeah. Oh. This is where the cute little green guy, who may or may not be a servant or may or may not be a townsperson, pops his head up out of the little pothole in the square and says, they're coming, get out of the square. But, you know, he doesn't say who's coming. More booms, boom, 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 time to run. And that's where they run into the first evil robot who totally, totally looks like a zombie. Yep. And again, the episode keeps fainting towards looking like horror because the plot structure is like horror, but it doesn't look like horror and it doesn't behave like horror. And it keeps suggesting it's going to tell you that technology is dangerous per se or that power is dangerous per se. And they're not, and it's not, and it's... It's designed to flirt with that wrong message and then not give it. Right, because it's about the wielding of it. Yeah. Oh, so this is the moment that Glimmer makes the face, the most fantastic face, after they kill the evil zombie robot. She makes this face when she was getting ready to smash down the door with her sword. The the greediest little gremlin face that's like the bug eyes. Like, oh yes, smash it, smash it. Yes, yes, smash it. Like she is losing her entire mind. Oh my God. Just because she wants to see something get smashed. And I love it. Could you blame her? 
No, she is horny for violence. Uh, That's what I have in my notes. (laughs) Glimmer is indeed horny for violence. As she often is. Oh, definitely. Too bad Bo took his eyes off them for two seconds. They are separated. Yes, he gets pulled away by mysterious hands. They fall down a chute. Down the rabbit hole. Yeah, so now we have this hilarious shtick of, you know, teleporting might seem like a perfect power, but if you don't know where you are, then maybe you don't know where you're teleporting. And it's just a few moments of like, ah, where are we? Oh my God, not here, not there. Oh my God, okay. So that is 100% Nightcrawler. I was just going to say that. Same joke. The, I, I got to that point and I was like, but they didn't go Bamf. Why didn't I, they go Bamf? You have to I, go Bamf to land the joke. I literally had that written down. I'm like, no one bamps, and this is what happens when Nightcrawler tries to, you know, teleport blindly. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah! I mean, in, in, in fact, if you if you are an adult mutant and you've been doing this for a while, the way to do this is to teleport down to the ground in short jumps so that you break your own fall. That's mm-hmm. true. Which is exhausting, but you can do it. But it's also where we see that Glimmer has Nightcrawler's power set, but is not an adult and hasn't been practicing with these powers for very long. And like, she's trying her best, but this is, she does not know how to do this. It's true. She is not a fully grown teleporter. She needs a danger room. She does. And she also doesn't have, um, she only has a a few teleports in her spell slots too. Like she doesn't, she's not unlimited. It's true. It's yeah. true. She has to. She has to recharge her powers. Yeah. But this is also so. Now this is the part where we see. Okay, so Adora's smashy smash didn't work. Yeah. Glimmer's uh, glittery glitter teleport teleport didn't work. Bamps true. Bamps. Both Glimmer's true. Bamps didn't work. So oh man, these people who are so powerful, their powers are not going to be working here to fix our issues. Who it's are we? True. Maybe we can meet another person and their powers will fix this issue. Mm-hmm. So how do we meet the person we're about to meet, you guys? Princesses. Ominous form approaches. We have In our... the dark. With the, red, with the eyes. red eyes. Yes, from the from the welding mask. Yeah. And we're braced. Braced for another fight. Uh-huh. Princesses! I am saved! Which is such a great line. Yeah, I love that. She's saved by princesses, not sa- not princesses that are being saved. It's, it's exactly. A, it's a great little exactly, and the fact that that's a cultural expectation that's set up for her. Yep. If you see princesses, you're saved. Yep, it's a it's like, a lovely yeah. subversion. I love it. Love it. So the matter of factness with which Entrapta treats life threatening mechanical and electronic malfunctions is lovely. Yes. At at least at this point, she has no doubt that this malfunction, this software glitch, will be fixed. Yep. Because she's always been able to fix software and hardware problems before, even when they become deadly. Yep. And I don't think that this is this is a hubris part. No, no, it's based on her experience fixing things. Exactly. It's 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 very much based in in reality. If this was Glimmer, I would say that this would skew towards hubris because Glimmer would just be like, you know, no, I've never done this before, but of course I can do it. Whereas with right. Entrapta, the data suggests that yes, I have been able to do this in the past. All data, yeah, she's you know, very methodical. All data suggests that I can. Ergo, mm-hmm. I shall be able to do this. She mm-hmm. basically has a help desk log where every time something yeah. becomes a teensy bit deadly, you log. It. And yep. then you go in and you find the bug and you write yep. the code or you, you know, pull out the chip and you're fine. Absolutely true. This, however, is first one sec. 
So yes. Uh oh. Yes, yeah. and she's expl- is explicitly experimenting with it. It's not something that she's familiar with. Right, and she did say at the beginning that she's never found anything with this much intact first ones code before. So this is a whole new ball game for her. Yep. Yeah. Also, I have a totally unrelated note here about her hair. Um, I really love the way Entrapta's hair is such a core part of how she moves and how she takes up space. Yes. I also thought, I don't know if this is intended or not, I kind of think it is, that she has pink eyes like a lab rat. Oh, good call. I did not see that at all. Um, Also, I mean, I think doing all of the legwork, so to speak, with her hair allows her to actually do the mechanical work with her hands. So her hands are always free. She's always able to do the things to build with her hands. She doesn't have to worry about mundane tasks with her hands. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, in another room. Oh, yeah. The baker people. The bakery staff. Yes. Kitchen staff. (laughs) They don't know why the robots are, are, um, have gone berserk. They just make food and tiny kawaii, tiny kawaii food and fizzy beverages because that is all Entrapta eats and drinks. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They really are fond of the Mr. X in the writer's room where, you know, Bo is struggling. And as far as we know, these people have captured him, right? right. He's struggling to get free. <laughs> and they're these adorable, these three very meek, adorable people. Please, sir, keep your voice down because the robots are attracted to noise. So we learn that right away. Mm-hmm. Another horror moment. Yeah. Right. And he's so he's taking this and he's like, oh, OK, so what's up then? Why is this happening? And, you know, they're establishing their character when they say, you know, we don't know. We're just the kitchen staff. Like, they're terrified. And we get to see them. That's who they are. And that's established right away. Yep. And they, yeah, they, they say they've socked away enough food to last for months. It's all tiny, but still, you know. <laughs> but so they're content to just hide there for months if necessary, as they have said. And Bo says they can do something. And in fact, they have to do something. Bo shows that he is also a technological person. He built a tracker pad. It tracks energy yes. signatures. So Bo is also able to use technology to engage with magic, not in the same way as the first ones. That's true. And they never talk about that aspect of him on this episode. They only talk about him as being a master archer. Right. But you're right. Yep. And so they're like, are those little dot thingies your friends? And Bo is like, "Mm, no. Gonna go with no. And he assumes action position. Yep. (laughs) More Entrapta. More Entrapta. Yes, more Entrapta. It's time for more Entrapta. Entrapta is leading Shira and Glimmer through the castle, telling them casually that they're lucky she found them because she designed the castle as a labyrinth, as we have discussed, and she's the only one who can navigate it as she walks into a column. And she didn't realize that she was designing a trap. Entrapta keeps doing things that make her look like an evil genius, but she's actually just someone who does science. Yes. She's never out to harm people. Yep, and then we see that Entrapta has her own kind of version of tracker pad too, and it is surrounded- But it's unfortunately kind of evil right now. Yep, and it is infected with- um, With evil. With red organic veiny shapes, and there's a frowny face. Yes. (laughs) About that, why did you build killer robots? (laughs) You're abnormally tall. Yes. So, yeah, you're abnormal at all. Hello, I like your sword. It's first one's tech, right? Can I touch it? Gayest moment. I am nominating that as a gayest moment. Yes. Uh, We all know that we all know that you know that I know that we know. (laughs) I'm going to continuously mess that up, but I feel like it's fun. It's we all know that we all know. Yes. 
And it's just like, oh my. As Jenny has mentioned many times before on this podcast, Adora's very genderqueer sword is both a sword, which is a phallic object, and has the glowing, flowering clitoris. And labia. Don't forget that labia. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of energy going on there. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. We have two different models of queerness. One that is magic. And yep. another that is logical and rationalist and tech-based and amusingly overt if you're not used to being around this kind of neurodiversity. Hello, I like your sword. Can I touch it? My third gayest moment comes a few lines after this where the giant robot goes after everyone and Entrapta just says, isn't it adorable? Yeah. And they're, they're scared. Because it's a new thing for them. And if Entrapta were a different character in the same plot, you'd think she was really trying to hurt them. But Entrapta can't imagine that her tech would be scary or harmful to anyone else because it's just so darn cute and fun if you're her. Right. She's so sweet and kind and wants people to like the things that she likes and assumes they will. And she doesn't quite understand, partly because she's grown up in drill with some privilege, just how unusual her way of looking at the world is. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But she does value it. She thinks it's great, which is the reverse of a lot of real life struggles by people on the spectrum who sort of don't realize, oh, you're, you're weird, but you're valuable. You have a thing to contribute. The thing you do, no one else can do. That's true. And it's also right. the flip of, you know, the rest of the uh, Princess Alliance and the Rebellion crew. You know, they value her for what she can provide to them and what she can do for them, but they don't value her differences. They find her, you know, a nuisance and something that they have to deal with in order to get the prize, which is what she can do for them. You know, like, and that's right. shown from Adora's very first reaction to her when, you know, when Adora or Glimmer say, why did you build evil robots? And Entrapta's first response is to ignore the question completely and say, hello, you're abnormally tall. Your sword is first one's tech, right? Can I touch it? And Adora immediately reacts like someone who is just annoyed and put off. You know, she crouches back in this somewhat defensive position and she says, hi, yes, and no, not right now. You know, like she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> What the fuck is with this person? Get your shit out of my way. We've got shit to do. Like, what? Yeah. You know, she's she's not interested in anything Entrapta has to offer other than will you please build us some shit and shut up and be normal. That's right. She has a lot to learn. She's such a flawed heroine at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the perfect segue to jump into parts of our discussion with Mishy Cats. According to Mishy's bio, they are a semi-professional do-gooder, amateur chef, and cat mom. They own too many lipsticks and overthink everything. We had a chance to sit down with Mishy to discuss all things Entrapta. You know, we get introduced to her and it kind of feels like, you know, the other princes are like, she's good at these things, I guess we should meet, meet up with her. And we get to her castle and, you know, it's not as pretty, I guess, as mm-hmm. others, others. And mm-hmm. there's this whole, you know, labyrinth to get through. And the first time we're introduced to her, she has, like, three people in her work who are, like, humans and terrified. And, like, we get introduced to her like as this dark palace with all these mazes. But yet she, we see her, and she's so bubbly. And she's, like, tiny food and fizzy drinks. <laughs> How exciting. And we see, like, she's a lot more bubbly than her 
space kind of mm-hmm. gives us a perception of, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no, of it course. totally makes sense. Yeah, you know, she starts explaining to them sort of her like robots and how excited she is, and I find it interesting rewatching. You know, she describes what her robots do to her for her, and you know, and she it seems like they're not just company for her. They're they actually she goes on to say like they help me with basic hygiene and stuff, and mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting because she didn't seem to like resent that or anything she was really excited that she mm-hmm. had all these companions that help her with things mm-hmm. i don't know that's how we get introduced her and i just thought that was really lovely that it's both companionship and need and accessibility for her yes, yes. absolutely so i'm just gonna say because it's something that really bothered me is at the end we sort of have you know she, they call on her to apologize and i'm going way deep but that kind of really did bother me and it felt like a lot of times they want her to apologize for existing. Mm. Or, you know, they apologize for, like, sh- her robots are a nuisance. Mm-hmm. Her hyper-focusness is a nuisance. Mm-hmm. And why can't she just, you know, get with the program? And like, right. she shows up to the ball not being dressed as, like, the others. And she just always seems like unless they need her to be in the way. Hmm. Hmm. That's how I took it. I mean, maybe not everyone. But I also took it as this great, she's, you know, she's very technologically... Like, that's her hype, her special interest. But she has a femininity about her. And her hair is also a way for her to get around and do things. Yep. And that's also accessibility. And as a, yep. you know, queer, femme, and disabled person, like, it's really nice to see all that. And it's not put so obviously out there. Mm-hmm. You really have to pay attention to see it. I think the first time around I missed her comment about the robots help her with basic hygiene and things mm-hmm. so but the second time watching i was like wow yeah and everything every time you rewatch it you see something more but seeing that but i did recall seeing it the second time and noticing that feeling that i got like she wasn't wanted exactly there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you're absolutely right and i think that's part of why she ended up in the fright zone mm. it wasn't just because of the misunderstanding like well they thought she was dead and if they hadn't thought that they never would have left but I definitely agree with you that there is always a sense that when she wasn't specifically doing something that was useful to them, just having her around was something that they were putting up with rather than fully embracing. Absolutely. Like the word would be putting up with. And like, I have to think, I mean, we're assigning, I guess I'm assigning way too much, you know, overthinking to it. But, you know, she gets left at the, you know, the fright zone. But they see all the technology that's coming out there. Wouldn't they worry? And, and wouldn't they fought harder for her to come out? Like, to make sure she's actually left? Like, it just seems a little bit like she was a set, like an afterthought. And I know, like, we yeah. talked about in Perfumers, you know, is sad about it. Bo is sad about it. But they almost kind of just carry on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like we watch the show and we get a lot of feelings from it. You know, I'm sure a lot of people start off really disliking Catra. Even maybe not dis- still dislike her, regardless of anything, and think she's unredeemable, rather than think much more deeper about it. And I feel like the same thing kind of applies to Entrapta. So they see her joining the Horde, and they think she's automatically bad, and that she's evil, and that she betrayed them. And, you know, I don't think that's true. I think that, you know, she she was stuck there, and she's like, oh, I could fix this technology. So mm-hmm. she just fixes it. She doesn't really care what's going on around her because she's focused on the thing that she needs to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Or that she, you know, feels comfortable. I think it's so much duality in it. As I said, I've had a really, really, really rough time. And I've been 
um, in a program, and I've been exploring a lot of my trauma. And rewatching it, just kind of, I felt for her so much. Like, it made me cry because I can see, and maybe I'm, you know, I'm putting my perception onto it. But I feel like. Well, myself, everybody does. Well, sure. You're here because we want your point of view. Absolutely. I know for my special interests and my trauma, which often, you know, we can't just separate pieces of our brain. It doesn't work that way. We can't organize them perfectly. Like yep. I have It would be this- awesome if we could. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you're so used to the criticism, you start wanting to please people. Right. And I think Entrapta yeah. really falls into the people pleasing. She knows that like the tech is her thing. So she tries to please and get everyone to like her by fixing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's and, explicitly said that. She's like, well, I'm useful. You know? Yeah, exactly. She is useful. That's, like, the only way she kind of sees herself. Until, like, to be honest, like, yes, Bo is really nice to her. But I think until Hordak, nobody has treated her like another human. Nobody has treated her. Like, everyone has seen her as broken. And he's broken. And mm-hmm. together, they're like, maybe we're okay. Maybe, that's true. You know, we can fix each other that's broken. And she literally fixes him. Yeah. She quite literally fixes him. And That's she doesn't true. fix him in the traditional sense. Like, she doesn't fix him to be, like, the other Hordads. You know, she fixes him the way he is. And if we remember, she also fixes him again when he's not, you know, normal Hordak. Like, the wrong normal Hordak, whatever you That's want That's right. Yeah. Can we talk about color? Yes, please. I, I do poetry, which is all words and comics, which has colorists. And it's easy when you're talking comics to talk line art and dialogue and ignore the colors. And color is so important here also because not only are the green nature-y signals that we're on a non-horde-dominated part of Etheria absent. I think this is the first time we've had dark interior, like, non-nature-y colors without blues and greens, mm-hmm. except in horde scenes. Mm-hmm. And that's that happens throughout. But in this scene in particular, everything is lavender. Everything is in entrapped as colors because it's her domain. That tells us both how gay everything is and yep. that this is entrapped as space and she's been almost, not literally, but almost literally living inside her head in a space of her own creation and she's yeah. going to need to learn how to get outside that space to be a good friend and an effective fighter and maybe a good romantic partner for someone yeah 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 um lavender has historically i think since probably the early victorian era been understood as the color of queerness um so it's been a um color code uh the lavender menace for example were uh, a group of lesbian feminists oh yes Yep, group of lesbian feminists in the early 70s who were kind of fighting against the anti, anti-lesbianism anti that was prevalent in mainstream feminism. So the fact that everything here is coded lavender is a pretty friggin' queer moment. Oh, yes. Yep. All the way back to Victorian era, you say. Yeah. That is some wild shit. If you are a queer historian or a queer history buff, please, please email us at heyadoracast at gmail.com and correct me. I would love to know that. Yeah, certainly like mid to late Victorian, but I do believe it is early Victorian coding. Oh, yeah. But one important point before we get so swept up in all of these awesome, cool details of what make Entrapta Entrapta, which are amazing. 
a couple of small plot points that we don't want to miss is that she does eventually answer the question after they get, they get over the You're Abnormally Tall fun shenanigans, why did you create killer robots? She does come back and say, well, they didn't start out that way. Mm-hmm. Normally, they're super helpful. Let me tell you all about my wonderful non-evil robots, which are totally not the issue right now, but they are super useful and more fun than people. And oh yeah, let me show you how I call them by clapping. And that is what brings us the killer hallway Zamboni robot. <laughs> Also a call to Chekhov's Sonic Arrow. But also that uh, that big killer hallway Zamboni robot reminded me of Labyrinth. Oh. Mm. I know all y'all queer Muppet Bowie fans have seen this movie. At one point, um, they're running in the underground part from uh, this big cleaning robot that takes up the whole space of the uh-huh. underground tunnel and there's nowhere to run. And, you know, it's going to crush you to death in the name of cleaning this hallway that no one's ever going to see anyway. And that's when Entrapta is running away laughing, saying, isn't it adorable? (laughs) Um, But that's when shit starts to get real because Entrapta is so excited about what's happening. She's like, oh, it's trying to communicate. She jumps up on top of this thing because she wants to take some notes because, again, she's not worried about what is good or bad for her in this moment. She's just interested in the science. She jumps up to take some notes about the possible communication that is happening, and her awesome hair appendages get caught in the twisting machinations of this robot, and then Adora has to jump up to rescue her. And in doing so, her sword gets infected with the same weird organic tech disease that has infected these robots and that's when shit really gets wild and this is where i wanted to point out another part of the kind of running motif through the show of when and when not to use your power and when and when not to be reckless with your power and this is adora doing uh hold my beer i got this king of the jock lesbians jumping yep. in and being like hold on i got this i'm gonna smash it with my smashing machine and my big smashy muscles and that's not what you need for that's not what you need for this that's not how you're going to defeat this bad guy that's not always to be the way fair, it's not clear that there was another way to prevent this robot from attacking and trapped oh, oh. Absolutely. I mean, she's doing what she knows. You know, she is doing what she knows as a character. This right. is, you know, this is and what she knows. And up till now, she's never been infected right. by an evil, you know, robot, human, cyber, organic disease before that turned her into friendly drunk Adora that will keep us amused for the rest of this episode. Oh, my goodness. I, oh, my God, drunk Adora. So here yeah. we are. Glimmer gets the sword away, kapow, and then angry red kryptonite Shira turns back into Adora and faints in Glimmer's arms. Oh my god. Oh my god. And we're gonna get back to drunk Adora. We are. Wackiness in just a little bit. But now we have moved on to Bo and the proletariat. Yes. I was gonna say and his band of kitchen knights, but they are not quite the kitchen knights yet. Not yet, not yet. They're um They're kitchen squires, really. They're kitchen squires right now. They're they're learning that they have nothing to lose, but they don't know what that right thing to lose is. Right now they're still terrified as shit. Yeah. And they feel like they have no tools with which to assert themselves in this situation. 
And robots are breaking down their fucking door. Yeah. Yeah. So Bo's making some traps. Mm-hmm. Cause he's the clever, the clever inventor guy. Yep, the regular guy who knows technology does not have magical powers. Yes, but he has a level head. And heart. He's got some traps going, and the kitchen staff are still really not sure about this, but he, you know, he's got enough confidence and commanderiness in him that they are willing to follow his lead. Mm-hmm. So when Bo says go, they go. Yep. They've got, they've got a trap strung up, they open the door, and huzzah, boom, boom, boom. Robot down, robot down. Three bots down in one second, basically. But then there's one more left, and he can't take it down because he only has Sonic Arrow left. It'll draw more bots. And he explains he can't use it because it'll draw more bots. I, I, I almost want that to be a joke about the animation team, who at this <laughs> point, the last thing they want to do is draw more bots. <laughs> no what do you think about drawing more bots yeah. yes nice yeah there's an important ending of this scene because since Bo can't finish them all off himself and he's like oh no what's gonna happen it is the most timid and squeaky of those three kitchen staff people the little blue haired person who ends up inadvertently dusting the last bot because she opens the cabinet door that she's hiding inside, but it's made of some kind of very heavy metal. She opens it quite forcefully. Boom. Bot down. P.S. These bots are pretty easy to take out. It's like one arrow, a squirt of icing, a squirt of fizzy delicious beverage, and they just short out immediately. So the bot goes down. She's like, is it over? Did we win? And she looks down at the bot and she says, I did that? Hey, I did that. And again, it's like with Adora when she first looked at the the Shira etching on the wall back in the early episodes in the Shira temple. She said, "That's that's me." Yeah. You know that that sudden realization that I I I have I have power. You are more powerful than you think you are. Yep. So and then now that they have begun to be empowered, now they can go along. Let's find my friends. And we get entrapped a glimmer interactions, which I love, partly because they're really different. They're characters who have really different struggles. And it's so much fun to watch them connect here. Mm -hmm. Glimmer sees everything that can be a person as a person. And Entrapta, who we will learn later, is pretty good at the robot rights cause, at this point thinks that you just need to shut down malfunctioning systems, even if they're persons. Right. Mm -hmm. When Glimmer says you're not taking her apart, she's a person? That's the kind of thing you'd expect Entrapta to say about Emily, or possibly about one of the Hordaks. Mm. But Glimmer is saying that about Adora, who... She appears to believe, with reason, is kind of an animatronic, especially lifelike robot. After all, she has tech powers. Right, and she was infected. Yeah. That's true. The tall one seems to be infected, too. She got less tall. <laughs> How does that work? And, and Entrapta's first question about any new situation is this lovely, pure research question, how does it work? Mm -hmm. um, Adora's first question is, how do I fight it? Mm-hmm. And um, I think Bo's first question is, what do you need? Yep. Mm. And Glimmer's first question is, how can it serve us? Oh, God, you're right. Yep. 
One big yay happy moment for Glimmer is when uh, she says, she's not an it, she's my friend. Exactly. Because she has been treating, first of all, Adora and She-Ra as separate things. Um, not personalizing She-Ra, uh, just seeing She-Ra as a weapon. So this is another instance of Glimmer being like, no, actually, She-Ra isn't just a weapon. She-Ra is part of Adora, and Adora is my friend. The idea that She-Ra is really part of Adora is something that we're going to see Adora learn much, much later. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's something that they all uh, have to reckon with throughout the whole series. Yeah. After uh, Glimmer puts her foot down and says, you're not taking her apart. She's a person. That's when Entrapta explains that she's been experimenting with a disc recovered from a mine and drill. Drill, even though it's not spelled, it's spelled D-R-Y-L. It's a place where people drill. It's a mining community. Yeah. It's not natural and connected to the earth in a holistic way as the other kingdoms are. This is a this is a human powered operation. It's Iron Town from Princess Mononoke. Right, exactly. So she they, they found this disc recovered from a mine and drill with more intact first one's code than anything she's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be having a bad reaction with the first one's tech that powers her bots. It infected them with some kind of virus. And that computer tech virus seems to have also infected Shira. Yep. And one thing that I want to mention here is I have in my notes, um, when Glimmer says, you're not taking her apart, she's a person. Glimmer, I think this is when Glimmer pulls a knife and uh, Glimmer shows that she is your tiny stabby friend. We all have that stabby friend. (laughs) Glimmer will defend Adora against the threat of disassembly. Yes. I want to go back a little bit to when is a person not a person? When is a person a tool? When is a robot a person? Mm Mm-hmm. Because any discourse around Entrapta is going to hit those questions. And one of them is a good and evil question. One of the most concise definitions of evil that I've seen and believed is treating persons as tools. And I think this has even come up on this podcast with the two of you before. Entrapta needs to learn and Glimmer needs to learn. And they're learning together. Yay! That people aren't tools. That people are people. At the same time, Entrapta... Because she's so tech-based and so rationalist and has such a fuzzy or non-existent boundary between people and not people to begin with, we're going to learn later that the same tendency she had early on to treat people as things is going to allow her to treat putative things as people, which is going to super help them. Absolutely. Yes. Um, So... We establish Entrapta's postulation that uh, Adora was, Shira was infected with the virus through her sword because her sword is First One's tech. Mm-hmm. And this virus has affected, infected all of her First One's tech because it had a bad interaction between the disk that she found and all the existing First One's tech that runs her computers. So that seems to be the situation. And so then Glimmer says, okay, so if you destroy the disc, will all this shit go back to normal? And Entrapta first doesn't want to do that. She says, but the experiment's not over. And this is still in the hallway with the remains of the destroyed Zamboni bot. (laughs) And Glimmer points out that this experiment pretty safe to say is a failure and then you pant you know all of a sudden the shot zooms out so you really see everything what a hot damn mess it is and Entrapta says but what if it's not 
And then she looks around again and says, no, it's a failure. That is, I, I, we should not underrate the, what to say, the, the power, the um, resilience, the bond, the gayness required for Entrapta to realize that she needs to pull the plug on this very high stakes experiment. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's so hard to admit that your experiment is a failure, but with Glimmer, all things are possible. That's true. So finally, we agree on a course of action, and that's when our friend Drunk Adora wakes up. Yay! And it's time for all the fun. Okay, so first of all, Drunk Adora, sorority girl drunk, right? Yes. Definitely a jello shots drunk. Hey guys, I love you. You're the best. Um, She's very physical, clingy drunk, because that's what Adora is, right? Adora is a very physical creature. That is totally true. I want to talk just quickly, because I think it's funny, about what everybody else in uh, Etheria would be like when they drunk. <laughs> All right, so first we're going to go to Catra, because we haven't talked about Catra, because Catra's not in this episode. It's true. But sweet baby Catra is emo drunk. Sweet baby Catra mm. is emo drunk, and it's just so, so pining and so sad, because sweet baby Catra is that pining, sad emo lesbian underneath Always. it all. Don't you think she'd start out, like, really combative, like, no. wanting to beat everybody at pool, and then when she's too drunk to play pool, then she'd want to, like, knock you out with, uh, with the pool <laughs> stick, and then she'd get sad and be like, oh, none of this even matters. Why doesn't Adora want me? I can definitely see it being, like, a competitive thing, but I don't see her getting violent. Okay. Yeah. I think that Katra ironically has a better sense of when actual violence is warranted and when it is unwarranted than Adora That's does. true. I That's agree. true. And a much better one I'm going to move into than Glimmer. Because Glimmer will fight your ass. That's true. I actually want to say that Glimmer does get whiskey drunk and she's going to fuck you up. But not like starting a fight, but like, are you looking at my friend? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's right. Absolutely. I think that's right. And... Bo is so tired of being the designated driver because he's always the designated driver. Yep. And when he gets gets a drink, he's a hugger. Oh, yeah. He's, I love you guys. You guys are my best friends. But not like Adora, who's a mess. (laughs) Yeah. What do we think about Drunk Mermista? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about that. And I was thinking that, um, so two things. One... If Mermista does drink, because I kind of see her smoking weed with uh, Perfuma. Oh, I totally yeah, do. that's right. Um, but if she does drink, she's definitely wine drunk, and she's definitely red wine drunk. <laughs> and I think she just gets quiet. I think that's right. Aw. I think that's right. But so, I don't, I don't love the idea of Mermista just sitting quietly, so what do we think she'd be like when she's smoking weed with Perfuma then? I think she would actually... Be giggly. I think she'd be giggly. I think she'd be. Oh a, yeah, there we go. She'd be a giggly, giggly pothead. Perfuma doesn't drink. Perfu- uh, Perfuma doesn't drink. Perfuma smokes mad weed, as established. Um, and yeah. I believe it's canon because that's what party kale is. Oh yeah, okay. I agree. I agree. I think Mermista would overshare with Perfuma. Yeah. And have like you know no aloofness whatsoever. She'd be totally enthusiastic about everything she has to say. Totally. Oh my god, Perfuma, can I tell you how awesome Seahawk is in bed? Totally. He does this thing. Yeah. You know. Seahawk is no different. He just lights shit on fire. Yeah, hi. I just want to weigh in on the conversation here. (laughs) (laughs) Please do it. Hell yeah! This is our producer, Ashley, who's who's weighing in, by the way. Okay. Well, yes, I think she drinks 
wine, red wine. And yes, I think she is definitely smoking weed with Perfuma. I also think that she drinks rum, like dark spiced rum with Seahawk. And I think that she gets over lovey and just loves everyone way too much and talks way too much and like hugs all over everyone. Oh, oh damn. Yes. 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 That seems right. Um, Entrapta does not drink, though she does make her own alcohol to clean robot parts. However, she's super about making her own nootropes. What is a nootrope? Um, brain enhancing drugs. That's exactly yeah. right. She has tried acid and she's tried mushrooms because she wants to know what they do and it was annoying she knew that you don't do those things by yourself psa do not do those kinds of drugs alone ever so she did them with emily she did them with scorpia i I don't know if she did them with scorpia during canon well because i think scorpia would be an awesome trip partner oh yeah no doubt but entrapta kept making notes and scorpia was like you really need to write all of this down and entrapta was like yes it's data this is my lab report oh yeah and then the next day entrapta looked at her data and she was like oh fuck this This is this is all gibberish (laughs) that makes no sense Yeah. Scorpia is a, a wine cooler drunk. Doesn't really change that much. Yeah, she's exactly the same, only more so. Yep. Frosta can just have like a shit ton of pixie sticks. <laughs> yeah. And she'll be off, you know, running around making a map of all the uncharted territories around camp while everybody else is having grown up fun. Yeah, exactly. She'll be running hither and thither. Should we return to drill? Yes, because now uh, Drunkadora and Glimmer and Entrapta have to get to the lab to destroy the disc so that these wacky hijinks can eventually come to an end. So now they're they're running back into the labyrinth. And my favorite part of that is when, you know, Entrapta is like leading them through her labyrinth. But, you know, perhaps she doesn't know the way as well as she thinks she does. So they're, you know, they're running around and Glimmer sits Adora down for one second and then while Glimmer is looking the other way, Adora pops up and runs away like Kermit the Frog in the other direction. Yep. Um, but, you know, Glimmer is just sitting for one damn second and taking a rest. And then she reaches her arm out to grab her and she's not there. And it's just all these trials and travails of designated driver Glimmer. Aww. Uh-huh. Am I getting ahead of us? Or can we get to the backpack moment where it's a date? Actually, no. I have one more gayest moment before we do that. Which is uh, Adora being wasted and just being like clingy, clingy, clingy. And then she looks up and she's like, a high glimmer. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) okay, Adora. Okay. All right, girl. And Glimmer's like, ugh, okay. We're going to deal with this later. That is a lot of jello shots. That is a lot of jello shots. But now we're in the next scene and Glimmer lets Entrapta know, because Entrapta did not know this, that she can teleport. Yep. And Entrapta is in love. Ooh, teleportation? How does that work? Tell me everything. Sure, but maybe later when we're not, like, facing a robot uprising, it's a date. I have that yes. as a gayest moment as well. Entrapta gets so enthusiastic about everything mm-hmm. that you can't tell when something seems romantic and so when something doesn't. Mm-hmm. Entrapta has also just seen Glimmer carrying Adora. Right. 
And Glimmer is the kind of girl who carries other girls on her back whenever that's a good idea. That's true. And yeah. I definitely have this because there is definitely a little bit of sparkage between uh, Entrapta and Glimmer. Now, uh, I do believe that is it is at this point of a tiny bit one-sided, but Entrapta is definitely like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yes. It's a date. Yeah. 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 Also, can I skip back for a second? Um, there was a couple of beats that we skipped before we got to Glimmer revealing her teleportation to Entrapta. Um, when they first got to the lab, for, you know, a couple of minutes they were looking for it. And then Entrapta says, oh, we're here. I mean, of course we're here. We were never lost. And then before Glimmer has to reveal that she can teleport, Entrapta tries to get them in the normal way, which is by putting in her entry code. And then she gets spectacularly electrocuted. Yeah. And we see her skeleton and Adora, you know, transfixed drunk Adora reaches up her little finger and then Glimmer, you know, pushes her hand back down so she does not also get electrocuted. And then in Trapta, again, she is just so focused on what is happening, what is the data we are getting. She says, wow, the door is infected too. It won't let yeah. us in. Yeah. That is so smart. And then after a little aftershock, she says, and terrible, we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, before the conclusion she comes to, which is that like, wow, this is bad for us. Mm -hmm. We're probably going to die. She's still just thinking about, you know, she just follows the science. Science. Wow. Look science. at what's happening. She's, science. you know, this is part of the experiment. Like, wow, all of these things are adapting. This is so smart. Oh, but it's bad for us. Yeah. And then Glimmer has to say like, okay, fine, I'll just teleport in since uh -huh. we can't get in the normal way. And then Glimmer does teleport in and we hear comedic sounds of zapping, screaming, banging. Adora just slumps further and further down in the side of the doorway. Totally oblivious, la la la. And then Glimmer reappears, teleports back out and she is much the worse for wear. Very beat up. Here's where Glimmer is like, okay, so the Shira, hold my beer, I got this power, isn't going to work. Maybe my Glimmer super bamf power is going to work. Yes. Tries to teleport in, uses her magical power, is unable to do so with hers. So now we have Entrapta's, exactly. Entrapta's science, not going to work. Shira's yeah. smashy smash, not going to work at the moment. Glimmer's teleport magic, not going to work at the moment. So who else's power do we have now? Who will save us? Teamwork will save us. The power of the regular guy who maybe thinks things through and maybe has a plan. A plan? Who has plans? So they're, they're running down a hallway. We know they're looking for their friends when a robot appears, just one robot, and the kitchen staff freak out immediately and cling to each other. But Bo thinks it's kind of cute until it tries to throttle him. You know, as one does. As one does. And the kitchen staff are still literally too scared to move until Bo explicitly asks them for help. Like, hey, guys, how about a little help? Yeah. And then again, it's the um, it's the most timid little blue haired staff who uh, comes out and beheads it with a plate, which, again, these robots are super freaking delicate. Identified in the script as bus girl. And this is where we can say definitively that the robots obey the law of conservation of ninjutsu. Are, are you aware of the law of conservation of ninjutsu? No. I think I may be able to extrapolate it, but I want to hear the definition. Oh, it's very important. The law of conservation of ninjutsu says that in any scene, in any work of non-realist art, anything that has superheroes or robots or magic, the amount of ninjutsu per 
scene is constant so that the more ninjas you see, the less ninjutsu each one will have. If you have to fight one ninja, that ninja will be incredibly badass and extremely hard to defeat, Hmm. even if there are many of you. Mm -hmm. But if you have to fight a hundred ninja, they're all going to be terrible. (laughs) And you can defeat them by throwing plates at them. (laughs) I love this. I get it. I love it. I get it, man. Yeah, because I mean, we would never get anywhere if each of those robots was realistically difficult to defeat. I mean, you know, everybody would be dead. Yeah. (laughs) You're not getting anywhere with icing and delicious fizzy beverages as weapons. Yeah. In in defense of the way this script works, these are not robots that have been designed by Horde Prime as killers. Right. That's true. These are robots that have recently become evil after having been programmed to do things like sweep floors or, you know, be blenders. That's true. That's true. These robots were not designed to fight or have defensive capabilities of any kind. I do not want my blender to try to kill me. A fear we all share. Yeah. So Bo and his kitchen knights are starting to kick some robot ass. And, you know, they're having a little bit more confidence now. But they got through that one. And so Bo says... Now, you know, we have to get through all these other bots to go save my friends. And uh, the counterpoint from the kitchen staff is no thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're just ordinary people here. Damn. We're not fighters. We're bakers, not fighters. And Bo gives a pep talk. Uh-huh. Inspirational speech time. This is also a little bit X-Men, but... <laughs> Everything is, really. Everything's a little bit But it's also um, in keeping with other inspirational pep talks Bo has given to other groups in other episodes in the other kingdoms of the regular people to inspire them to step up. And of course, you know, we've had the the pink bubble backgrounds in other episodes when... uh, when we've gazed upon people who were very inspiring, there's been pink bubbly backgrounds. And of course, in this case, it's because that robot was like a laundry robot or something. He had pink bubbles coming out of his robot mouth. And so now the whole background is being filled with pink bubbles again as he's giving his speech. You know, you each have a special skill that only you can do. <laughs> and they each get the anime eyes. Yeah of impassioned excitement as he speaks. And I almost wish that they still had been trepidatious at this point. And then later, like in another episode down the line, he had crossed paths with them again and they had become all hardcore and been like, yes, you know, like with Bo's dads. I agree. That said, Bo's dads are the supporting characters for Bo. And Mm -hmm. you can only attach so many supporting characters to each main character. And Entrapta, when she leaves Drill, comes with her own cast of supporting characters to whom only she can relate. They happen to all be robots. And yeah, it would be great to see the Baker and the Bus Girl again, but... You can only have so many people. Yeah, in. you're right. Yeah, and it's it's not so much that it's like a kid show as that each episode is only 22 minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know you're right. But, you know, he gets them up and running. You say you're just ordinary people. I say you're mighty warriors of the rebellion. Yep. And, you know, plates are thrown 
Icing is squirted. Huzzah! They're ready. Yep, you know, they, they, they learn they have nothing to lose but their chains. The people united can never be defeated. Working people of drill unite. That's et true. Etc. 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 Et and then we get some of our principals who are in a bad place. Yes. And Entrapta says what she always says, which is, Science! I have made a discovery about robots. Yeah. Absolutely. The next scene after we leave those guys is that they're they're running from the robots. And the next thing that happens is Glimmer says she doesn't have enough energy to teleport them all without leaving someone's legs behind. And Entrapta whips out a knife and she says, I'll give up one of mine if you give up one of yours. I love that. I love that. Entrapta has six to eight appendages that can move her around. Right. Yeah, she so doesn't the, need both she legs. She doesn't actually need both legs. But also... This, too, in a way, is disability activism and robot rights campaigning because the integrity of a human soul and the the sort of worthwhileness of a human personality does not depend on you having any particular body construction. And the implication is not just that, you know, well, Entrapta has more appendages and doesn't need a leg as much, but we can always build you a robot leg later or whatever. Like, we just need to not be killed by robots. I'd be into that. Glimmer, who is used to being an organic person and doesn't really even understand the science behind her powers yet. For, for Glimmer, you don't violate someone's bodily integrity. You just don't do that. But for Entrapta, if, if your foot's not working, then you cut it off and build something that will work better. And like, of course, yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. This is also Entrapta not understanding that Glimmer is not speaking literally either. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, but it seems like this might be the end. Except here comes something. Something is coming through a mysterious cloud that might be made of flour, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It's Bo and the Pastry Patrol. Pastry Patrol. Huzzah, huzzah. Adora yells, yay, there's a rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, because Glimmer says it's Bo. And Adora says, yay, there's a rainbow. And uh, Bo and his kitchen knights smash the fuck out of all the robots with the tools that only each of them know how to wield. Yay, using their powers. They're all empowered by using their own powers. Power. Mm -hmm. So when do we get Adora on Glimmer's back? Again. I mean, that's happened a bunch of times throughout. We haven't necessarily called it out every time it's happened. Yo, Glimmer's strong. Yeah. Yeah, she (laughs) is. She's also really determined. Yeah. Like, there are times I feel like if someone just said to her, carry your friend on your back, she'd be like, fuck off. But since it's a life and death situation and she feels like there is no choice, she's going to do it because there is no choice. And that's that. Yeah. It's like the super strength that you get in a life and death situation from adrenaline and whatever the case may be. Yeah. And Glimmer's sources of strength are identified with the maternal in a Mm. way that is not true for Adora slash She-Ra. True. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now that everyone is safe in this scene, Glimmer now recounts everything that's happened in the episode from their perspective point of view to Bo, uh-huh. including how Adora got all weird. weird. So now they don't have Shira, so it's hopeless. And Bo says, We don't need Shira. We can do this together. together. Yay. Right. 
So now it's off to the lab. Oh, the lab. Can I talk about the lab for a second? I think you must talk about the lab. I would love to talk about the lab. So they go into the lab and we see that these organic, pulsing, red, veiny, almost fleshy Mm -hmm. viral tendrils have taken over the lab. And I noticed that this seems like a visual nod to the 1988 classic anime cyber cyberpunk movie akira so there is a particular scene where you know they have they've had this kid isolated and the experiments started to make this character morph and manifest into this writhing massive organic pulsing grotesque like mass of flesh that slowly overtakes the room that this character is put in and it is visually very similar it's also disgusting yeah that sounds fucking gnarly dude it's fucking disgusting Mm. It's this like, it's another, this is where technology can completely warp the organic. Yeah. Yep. So one of the things I love about Entrapta is that she's not that. We're going to learn exactly. that yep. later in the series. But it would be very easy for a worse version of this show to be anti-tech. Yes. yes. And and the, the, the delight or the fantasy of, of Entrapta is a form of technophilia that is not predicated on settler colonialism and extractive industries. Hmm. I would like to believe that you can have that kind of technophilia. If you can't, there's no place for yeah. me. You know, I really love the concept and the idea of transhumanism. Transhumanism is the understanding of augmenting the human physical experience with technology, be it a, um, a biotechnology or a mechanical technology. And I find it fascinating and I love the idea of it, but it is so intrinsically tied into access and class that it is Almost certainly at this point in our kind of, you know, greater collective human existence, not tied to this kind of horrendous evil power structure, which sucks because I totally want like robot eyes and, you know, like. Yeah, but also when I think about that, um, I don't just think of access in class because that implies that it's just about who can and cannot get it. I also think about the possibility of having it be enforced versus being free will. Right. Yeah. All right, shall we return to the lab with the robots? Yeah. Robots, robots everywhere, and all of them are evil. And of course, Adora's like, hey guys, I found the robots. Ah!" No, no, no. so they're trying to sneak in quietly, right? And Trapta brings them in through this little air vent in the corner. Yeah. They're all creep and crawl and super quiet. She points out where Mm -hmm. the disc is, and it's right in the heart of the the evil throbbing root system and she is still fascinated by the science of what is happening in a completely detached way you know she is observing she can't help it yeah and they're all start whispering their plans to destroy it and then meanwhile drunk adora hey guys i found the box good job adora thanks bro (laughs) 
So then Glimmer quickly grabs Adora and teleports them both to the top of a thing that's just higher than the bot's reach. And then the baking brigade tells Bo, don't worry, we'll get your friends. You two, get the evil thing. Right? And then Bo and Entrapta swoop away on one of Entrapta's prehensile hair appendages. While the pastry patrol mm-hmm. chases down the bots to save Glimmer and Adora. Action, action, action. And I, I believe that that was one of my, that was my last gayest moment. Oh. Like the interaction between Adora and Entrapta's hair. Oh, let's hear it. Well, that's it. It's a, it's a, for once, um, I'm citing a visual bit instead of a verbal bit. Uh, just the way in this part of the episode, Adora, who is still like giggly and stoned and kind of semi offline, just kind of pokes and traps his hair. It's fascinating. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. It's like nothing I've seen. Wow. And Adora and Entrapta are both in different ways, sort of disconnected from the mortal peril that all of the best friends are facing here. That's true. Yeah, so we're at the part where they're trying to figure out how to make this, how to stop it, right? And right, both, both right. trying to take the disc out, and we're like, hey, let's let's power this down. Once again, going back to the running motif throughout the show of power, and we find that just as our kitchen staff has found the power within itself and is perpetuating its own power, so have the robots. Yes. The robots are, are running on their own power. That is not to say that they are sentient yet. Right, yeah. Bo has an idea. What's Bo's idea? Bo's idea is, as he has previously said, I believe in you, to the pastry patrol, he now says, I believe in you, because the distinction between animate and inanimate objects is blurred whenever Entrapped is in frame, to the Sonic Arrow, to check, check off, off Arrow, Sonic Arrow, which... It's all going to work, and in a kind of interesting preview of stuff that's going to happen much, much later, the robots turn against their malign control. Yes. Yay. Thanks, Chekhov, Sonic Arrow. That sobers Adora up, like, right quick. Oh, yeah. Um, We did skip over one thing about Entrapta when uh, Entrapta discovers that everything is running on its own power. She acknowledges that this is a failure and actually says that this all needs to be destroyed. Yeah, she says, we've got to get out of here and burn this place to the ground. And that is Entrapta's recognition that her power uh, doesn't work. So each person has to recognize that they're, you know, in the finality of it, that their power has not worked. And this is Entrapta's final, yes, this doesn't work. I need to destroy it now, which is something that we, we haven't really heard Entrapta say about her own experiment. It's true. That's right. And then we have Chekhov, Sonic Arrow, and now we've kind of, you know, all of our nice little plot points are coming together. Climax, climax. And then Entrapta thanks our fearless best friend squad and, you know, the Kitchen Brigade for helping and would be honored to join the rebellion and provide them with weapons. Weapons. Huzzah, huzzah. The final scene is the best friend squad leaving Drill and walking home and talking about what they've learned today. And saying, we can't always rely on our powers. Powers. Correct. Holy crap. That's totally right. And having to tell Bo that he was right. Yep. And Bo isn't a jerk about it. Bo's like, yay, all in a day's work for the normal people. And then just to be, you know, just to give a little bit of boost of confidence, Glimmer's like, oh, hey, yo, that rock is looking at us funny. 
Yeah. I think it needs its ass kicked. Hey, uh, hey, Adora, why don't you, uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you go you know, take care of that? Now that Sheer is feeling better, yeah. I think she needs to smash it. And, and Adora's like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Smash And that's it, smash. my gayest moment nomination. It is really gay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And I, I almost forgot about the last moment with Entrapta here. Yeah. Because it's there. And it's, it doesn't, it doesn't make her look great. It no. makes her look like someone who needs to learn when to stop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important tag for her too, because she's not portrayed as, you know, she's definitely not an antagonist, but she's also not really an enemy throughout the episode. But this kind of shows that she didn't really learn the lesson as deeply as everybody else did. Right. So the lesson that the others, the lesson that, that, that the Best Friend Squad has learned is that sometimes your powers don't work to save people. Yes. But the lesson that Entrapta needs to learn is a little different. Yep. Which is sometimes your powers can just really hurt people. Yep. And you need to not use them. And Entrapta's science first mentality requires other people to be really physically around her mm-hmm. to stop her from doing dumb things. And we discover here that she has made friends and learned about reciprocation and um, collaboration. But if you leave her by herself, she's going to keep on doing incredibly dangerous things because she's just so damn curious. Yep. Right. Yep. She has no common sense, whatever that is. Right. Even when she said in the end, like, that's it, we have to burn this place to the ground... Literally half a second before she said that, she was enthralled by the fact that it kept running on its own power after they unplugged it. She had the anime eyes. She was like, wow, this is amazing. And then she's like, well, that's it. Experiment failed. We got to burn this place to the ground. But she's still, again, like she is interested in the science no matter where it leads. Uh Even if it's leading to her own death imminently, she almost doesn't notice. Because science. Because science. Because you have to find out. Because this is her special interest. Yep. Yeah. It's her special interest. She can't leave it alone. She's she's hyper-focusing. She is us. She's, she's everyone who has ever just not understood what the people around us are going on about because we have to go pursue the thing that fascinates us. And we've been talking for the last couple of scenes as people who know what's coming and who know what the Horde is going to be and what role Entrapped is ultimately going to play as these five seasons play out. But if you are watching this for the first time, especially maybe if you have some knowledge of the 80s Uh show, um, but even if you don't, if you're watching this for the first time and you know how Entrapta looks, when her mask comes down, right, she's got two faces and one of them is this expressionless metallic face with, with red eyes and looks villainy. It is extremely easy to believe that Entrapta is going to herself turn into the big bad. And she says things that in another milieu with another showrunner might mark her as someone who will become corrupted by her interest in science and tech and will indeed become like a Batman villain, will become Mm. the big bad. That's not what's going to happen. Right. But we don't know that. And the show faints toward or acknowledges a place that it's not going to go, which is technology will corrupt you. And then the credits. And then the credits. Jenny! Math! What did we learn today? Oh my gosh, this is going to be a tough one to sum up. 
We have learned so much about Entrapta. We have learned that neurotypical people have a long way to go in making any effort at all to understand the point of view of people who are on the autism spectrum and how much effort they are making to meet neurotypical people halfway. We have learned that Entrapta is a freaking awesome character who the Rebellion would be dead in the water without. Oh, yeah. Mm. Squee. Squee, indeed. We have learned that Drunk Adora is everyone's friend. We have learned some things about drunk princesses in general. Drunk, Oh, yeah. We've learned a lot about all the drunk princesses and how much fun they would be to hang out with. We've learned about disability activism. We have learned about disability activism. We have learned how important Bo is to his friends. Mm-hmm. We have learned that all of our friends are better as a team. Yeah, so... Aww. Steph, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, do you have anything that you want to plug? So you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm the Stephanie Burt who's not the food writer. And I am accommodatingly, but you can just type Stephanie Burt into Twitter and look for me. And that will work. I am not quite Hyde Park on Instagram, but I'm not nearly as active there. So Twitter's the place. I have a number of things that I make or do that you can go out into the world and obtain if that's what you want to do. The most recent is a book of poems that are fake translations, mistranslations, and enthusiastically inaccurate translations of the wonderful ancient Greek and North African poet Callimachus. And it is called After Callimachus, and it was published in 20. 20- 20. I know some really phenomenal illustrators that worked on that. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's also a book called Don't Read Poetry, a book about how to read poems, and it is what it says on the tin. That was published in 1919. 1919, was it? (laughs) 2019, not 1919. I'm not that old. If you want to read some poems with me, there's a book called Don't Read Poetry, a book about how to read poems. Awesome. And as an extra added bonus, stick around after our outro because we are going to have a couple of poems. And we are so excited about hearing them. So stick around after our outro. You're going to get some bonus poems. It's everyone's dream come true. We're getting a bonus episode. So tune in for our extended interview with Mishy Cats. And wackiness, I promise, will ensue. If you like what you heard and you want to join us in more gay screaming or you want to join us in battling evil robots, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also email us at heyadoracast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Heyadora, a queer she podcast, or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at heyadoracast. And please feel free to leave notes of praise and adoration on iTunes. It helps us with the gay screaming. It does! Yay! I've been making Spotify playlists for each episode. This week's episode playlist, System Failure, is available on Spotify right now and heavily features robots. You can find the link in the show notes or by visiting our site at heyadora.gay. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe! So... These are poems that are going to be in a chapbook. It's going to be 20 to 30 pages that will be published by Rain Taxi Editions in Minneapolis, probably this May, with a truly delightful cover by Mara Hampson. It's got a bunch of X-Men poems. It's got some other stuff. It's got a poem about Frozen. It's got a couple other Marvel and DC superhero poems in it. And it's got, at least in its current 
incarnation, two Shira poems, and the first is called Adora's Song to Swift Wind. Let me comb out your mane and chin and clean your wings. At home in our meadow, at home in turbulence, hold still so you can fly. Let me brush you all over and polish your horns and all your other polishable things so you may carry yourself with all your fetlocks confidence. Hold still so you can fly. Sun only warms you. Lightning only stings. The world is full of color and still scary. You can loft my friends up over any wall, their love is yours, as you are their defense. Hold still so you can fly. And this one plays a little bit with a verse form called Terzarima, which it's kind of in, which goes back to Italy a long time ago. Entrapta's song. I admit I might not be a princess, I do not gleam, except from enthusiasm. I will not flee a negative result. If I'm on a team, it's team learning what's real and what works. It isn't me to walk away from an experiment. My allure, I'm told, is my energy. KE equals half MV squared. I sometimes scare the ones who need water to live. I often prefer my Emily or my Darla, and my hair twirls happily when they respond to me or concur with my inductive reasoning. I chose my chunky goggles for the flare around my welding and soldering, though to be sure, they also protect me when things explode. Now that you mention it, they explode a lot. One time, a runestone's hypermolecular core sucked everybody into another dimension. I know I helped open that core, it wasn't your fault, it was my fault, but not my intention. I still want to be a good friend. My polymer mask and gloves protect you from me, and me from the touch I don't expect. I might just be too scared to ask. No wonder I can't stop moving. Life may be cludge after cludge and crufty, but if I stay on task, I vibrate with overall love for it. I'm such a softy for tiny foods. I can program or reprogram any mechanical antagonist, but I can't hide my feelings. I made you a diagram. My lavender bunches a flutter. I made a list. I want you to love me back for who I am. I fucking love that poem. <laughs>